0: Hello from Cybrary and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or a review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Cyberea Podcast. I'm your host, Will Carlson, joining you from Black Hat USA 2022. I have the distinct privilege of being joined today, not by one amazing guest, but by two, our very own Chloe Misdagi, Chief of Impact, and Casey, Casey, your last name again. Casey Ellis, E W L I S. Casey Ellis with Bug Crowd. So Casey, um, give a little bit of an introduction to the audience of yourself, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, often often known as Casey John Ellis or C-J-E, that's the, the handle on Twitter, um, my my name without the middle name wasn't available at the time, so now I'm stuck with that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm the uh, I'm the founder, chair, and CTO of, of Bugcrowd, uh, co-founder of the DiscloseIO project. Um, basically, you know, we we kind of kicked off this idea of putting platforms in the middle of the research community and companies that need input from hackers uh, right around the world, and and that seems to have taken off as a as a concept. So that's my fault, sorry, and you're welcome, I guess. Yeah, right, I, I think
0: the, the, the audience and myself, we may have heard of the word bug crowd mentioned once or twice before in yeah, our, our it, rumblings It's the definitely out of space. the garage at,
1: the, at this point, which is, you know, as a, as a founder, that's a nice thing, for sure.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, uh, Chloe, hit us with some questions here. Yeah, yep. so
2: today I wanted to chat with you because, you know, first of all, reminding people that the reason that we have these bridges now between the hacker community and also with, like, the companies and being able to report things is really because of bug bounty platforms that really opened that scene. So Bug Crowd was one of those. Mm. And not just that, but I remember working at Bug Crowd and we're working together on Disclose.io. Yep, yep. And that was such a mission drive yes. of like bringing the conversation to the front line. Be like, yep. we need to have this conversation. We need to talk about this. And we this should be just every single security company, every security team should have vulnerability disclosure policy. 100%. So why don't we just first chat about disclose.io and how people can get involved?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, so disclose.io, uh, you, you look at you know this whole idea of like how do we standardize uh, vulnerability disclosure policy language, um, and then how do we make it easier for people to adopt? Like there's people that have been working on that forever. You know the the Rainforest Puppy, you know the RFP from I think it's two thousand and one and. all these different things what we noticed when we started Buck Crowd was this idea that like lawyers don't really know how to have this conversation when it comes to actually creating a brief and a nervous lawyer tends to be quite a verbose lawyer (laughs) they'll just like and that's the it's like that's not a diss it's kind of their job but you know the the challenge is if you end up with this really long legal brief that's saying all things that are okay and aren't okay and, and creating you know safe harbor for, for researchers so that they know they're not going to have their door kicked in. right? If it's 12 pages long and full of legalese, like, no one's going to read it. Mm-hmm. People don't understand it. You've got hunters that are you know, English as a second language. Like, so not only are they not lawyers, they don't necessarily read English natively in the first place. And it causes, you know, at, at best, a lot of confusion. Um, at worst, it actually causes you know, people to do stuff that's legally risky because they're in this position where it's like, I'm, I think I've got permission to help out. Um, But is that really permission that protects me from a legal standpoint? So that's really where Disclosure kind of got kicked off. It's like, how do we simplify that, standardize it? And then, you know, what we've really worked on a lot since is actually promote it, like help people, you know, basically have a reward for best practice. Like if they're running a VDP, if it's it's got safe harbor, if you've got a proactive coordinated vulnerability disclosure timeline, that's kind of the best of breed way to do this at this point and there's not that many folk doing it. So mm-hmm. like promote them as the folk at the top of the mountain and then you know the theory is that everyone gradually starts to climb um, over time. That's kind of you know what we set out to do and yeah.
2: Well, I think the think the one thing that I absolutely love is when they have good vulnerability disclosure policies which states what's in scope, what's out of scope. Like just cut through the 50 pages of your terms and conditions yeah. and let's just tell me what's okay, what's not okay. Yep. How do I report? Who do I report to? Yeah, It's like so frustrating because we have so many hackers that are, they find vulnerabilities, they want to report it, so they go to social media yep. and they send DMs. And you know, that goes to the marketing team, goes to like the PR and team. The whole which thing
1: starts off on the wrong oh. foot. It's like, oh my God. And you know, honestly, for, for, for folks that haven't thought about proactively setting up a VDP in the past, like the first time someone comes in from the outside and calls your baby ugly, like it's a confronting experience, <laughs> right? Like it's not anyone's fault, it's just an awkward thing to go through for the first time. So that's oftentimes what what actually, to your point, kind of spirals out of control and, and you end up with with blow ups or you know people getting legal threats, all those different things. So it's like, how do we, that's, that's a dumb problem for the internet to have at this point, right? Like people write code, people aren't perfect, we make mistakes, therefore there will be vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm the smarter and the more kind of anti-fragile approach to things is to just expect that and, and put systems in place to be able to handle it and ideally get better at like not doing that sort of thing in the future. So trying to push all of that forward um, and probably the, the the secondary piece which I didn't mention before is actually trying to trigger legal reform. So, so the yeah. idea of, of like you know when you, when you think about the DOJ when you think about Congress like I've spent a lot of time on the Hill you know we worked, worked with DHS on election security for 2020 um, with the DOJ on, on CFAA stuff and, and whatever else. But the thing I saw there was that like, they're pretty busy, right? So this whole idea of like reform, you know, policy just naturally doesn't move as quickly as the internet. So there's, there's already a problem there, but it's not necessarily high enough a priority to, to kind of drive things. So how do we increase that priority? Um, and this whole idea of adoption and a groundswell, all of a sudden you've got precedent, it becomes an issue of retail politics and laws start to change, which we actually saw happen last year. So, like, that's, that was a huge win that in was, terms of CFAA uh, reform. Yeah. That
2: was a that was day where that was I, good I week. popped open a bottom like, finally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's been a long time, that's 30 years in the making.
2: Yeah. Like,
1: literally, that, that, those decisions. And it's not done yet. There's been changes in the charging rules that basically mean um, you know, the law, like, the, the courts aren't meant to accept a prosecution if it looks like the research was done in good faith. So that's actually inverted it. Before it's like, okay, if you're hacking a your computer, we're just going to automatically assume you're a criminal and you have to prove that you aren't.
0: Well, um, that's a part of, of, of what Book Crowd's out to do that's really interesting to me is the uh, kind of unvilifying
1: yeah, that
0: aspect of yes. all of this, right? And it's it's a it's totally unfair balance of power, right? So as... A single researcher who finds a a, a bug that I want to disclose, whether they have policies or not, and if I think I did it right to your point, Casey, or not, I do that. And I think we still, less so now, but continue to see too many cases where those people are being pursued and prosecuted by the organizations that they were trying to help. And it's just – it's – it's bringing a it's, water gun to a gunfight. It's, gun it's I mean, dumb. It's totally it's, yeah. unfair.
1: Like it's, uh, yeah, I, I literally meant, you know, it's an Australian, right? So you're getting kind of the blunt version of, of my assessment of all of this. But it's literally a dumb problem for the internet to have at this point. Like, it's a dis- distributed system that we're all using. A crowd creates it. A crowd's available to help protect it. And, uh, like, function as its immune system. We've got, like, the equivalent, in my mind, of an autoimmune deficiency where we're actually attacking <laughs> the helpers instead of attacking the problem, so it's like this is this needs to change. And I, you know, thinking about it with the, the founder kind of futurist cap on, it's like at some point in time between now and the heat death of the universe, this is just going to be normal, right? Like people finding vulnerabilities—that that conversation is just going to be a part of how the internet works as an issue of physics, right? Um, so between here and there, how do we how do we like roll that ball forward, get it moving quicker? and ideally do it in a way that's successful for everyone who's involved. So it's not just the lawyers that I was talking about before creating all of the stuff and potentially introducing more confusion. It's like, how do we you know, reward best practice and actually encourage that, make it simple to do? So it's, it's fascinating because you know the other side of it um, is the chilling effect, right? Because there has been a, a drop in, in actual prosecution, like you know, F-12 and find out and, and, and some of those different kind of things to blow up. Uh, the, the Missouri case, I think it was, yeah, you know, they still happen, right? But the frequency of it actually going to court has dropped. The challenge is that there's a whole body of researchers that just don't do it because they're worried about what could happen. Yeah. Right. So, like, we actually don't see the impact of that. There's a there's a chilling effect that prevents the conversation even starting in the first place. And that, to me, is actually the bigger impact. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, like, how do you remove that?
2: Exactly. And it's not just that, but you're also creating an environment where people will be like, "Well, fine, you don't trust me, then I'm going to go on the dark side." And then there's that. And yeah, then you have 100%. people that like because of how it was in the past, a lot of hackers that came into this field, they were doing things that were not the most best way of doing things, but because they didn't know and they didn't know there was an option to do yeah. it more legal. Yep. And so that's the thing is like we're asking for all these people to help and find vulnerabilities to keep their customers safe, yeah. their, their company safe, and in return, we're not doing anything for them instead of making them scared.
1: Yeah. So Disclosure is a not-for-profit and, and an open-source project. Um, Bugcrowd on the other hand is, is venture backed and it's, it's for profit. And I think the other piece going back to what you are saying before is that you know as a business what we've had the opportunity to do is to reset the perception in the market around what a hacker is because there is this default bad <laughs> assumption and like in reality hacking is actually kind of morally agnostic. Like you can use it for good stuff you can use it for bad stuff it's all the same thing it just depends on how you're applying it what your, what your outcome is are you there to cause harm or to help, right? Um, and you know Introducing this idea of like there are friendly digital locksmiths out there. We're not all burglars. Like there's, you know, the the uh, the equivalent um, of, of that analogy, but the online version. Um, it's normalised that conversation. I think that's that's been a massive part of this as well. So there's all of the legal stuff. There's you know that that kind of you know element of it in terms of trying to normalise and, and right size that. But then there's this perception of hackers that I think you know the, the shift in that and the idea that oh yeah maybe they are a part of the solution to the problems that we've got. Like that didn't exist 10 years ago. So so the fact that that's a thing now makes all of this a whole lot easier. Um, I get excited about that, as you can probably hear.
0: It's such a funny semantic thing in a lot of ways, right? So if you were to reskin the hacker moniker and say, Information security professional to use maybe the stuffier, outdated version of the term, then yeah. all of a sudden it becomes miraculously more palatable when the nature of the work may yeah. be largely the same. Yep. So I do think it's just, it's a really unfortunate semantic problem that we find ourselves in. And to your point, like there are a lot of morally agnostic things that we deal with on a regular yeah. basis. Yeah. Um, hackers being one among many others, and yep. it seems like we wrangle with some of the others, although not always the most effectively, but at least in a healthier light and with a yeah. more civil discourse about it. And with without- less
1: bias as, yes. a, as, a, as a starting point. So that's that's really, that was the eight ball we were behind kicking this whole thing off in the first place. It's like, all right, this is moving very clearly in the wrong direction. And job zero is to turn that boat around and, and get people into the, into the headspace where they can accept the idea that like maybe this is helpful. Maybe it's not all bad, right? Um, and that took a bit of work, but you know, I, I feel like at the very least, the idea that a hacker can be helpful is something that everyone gets now. Yep. Like whether they accept that and whether they want to engage with that, you know, if that like dissuades all of the fear they might have around around doing that, different different problem. But the whole idea of like, oh, this is possible. I feel like we've we've actually crossed that milestone at this point, which is pretty cool.
0: I wonder, do you think there's a difference there? I, I agree with you. I, I think you know, knowing a bunch of hackers professionally working at large organizations that have dedicated teams that do that is Do we still have a difference in the perception between an uh, employee mm-hmm. engaged in that work? I, I wonder if we still fight with a little bit of the mercenary perception of, that this isn't staff, can I really trust them? Like, they're a hacker, but they're not close. Yeah. They're a little removed. And I, I think we may still, as an industry... Maybe not cybersecurity, oh, but think, business in Internet, large, in general, yeah, yeah, they're mercenaries. That. So we still, I, I think the view of a hacker has largely changed, but do we still fight with the view of that when they're, like the folks engaging w- with bug crowd?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think it extends actually outside of bug crowd, even when you think about you know, how different organizations view their relationship with a contractor versus a full-time employee, for example. Because there's some companies where that's just a native thing to them, and like everyone knows what's going on, and it's fine. And then there's other companies where it's like, if you're not a full-time employee, you're, you know, almost persona non grata. Yeah. Uh, and there's, there's a huge spectrum of kind of the default approach that businesses take to, to that particular thing. Uh, for all sorts of different reasons, I actually do think that COVID has really helped with this. Because the whole idea of like, well, we can't, you know, walk over to their desk and, and hit them over the head with a newspaper anymore. Um, the, the, basically, the globe kind of collectively got forced into just dealing with that all at the same time. Um, so, I think that 's helped, um, but yeah you 're right there is definitely there 's shades of that right across right across the place um, and i wouldn 't say that it 's like industry specific like technology companies mm-hmm. in general are more comfortable with with these sorts of ideas and like the older the organization is, generally, the more difficulty it 'll have because it 's set in its ways and you 've got to change some stuff right um, but that 's even that 's painting with a fairly broad brush it 's quite a spread.
2: So maybe one thing is, I noticed that people don't really know the differences of like different types of vulnerability disclosure. So sure. such as coordinated, yep. safe harbor. Do you want to kind of share a little bit so then people are aware of what are those options that yeah, yeah. they can explore?
1: Yeah. So I mean, probably the first thing would be that, you know, vulnerability disclosure, something that I spend a lot of time talking to companies about. It's like the conversation we're having here is, is basically the same as like a thunderstorm approaching your building. And like, maybe it'll drop lightning in a way that causes a problem for you. Like, you don't get a say in that. So the internet's just going to internet. Like, lightning in the analogy is the vulnerability and it being exploited or disclosed, right? And the thunderstorm is just, you know, the internet doing its thing. Um, because there is the perception still in a lot of places that, like, I can tell, I can go outside, yell at the thunderstorm and tell it not to hit my house with lightning and it'll <laughs> listen and everything will be fine, which is just, you know, doesn't work. Um, and, and kind of wasn't necessarily rational in the first place, but it's what a lot of people think. It's like we can, we can do policy. If we don't have a VEP, then people won't look at our stuff from a security standpoint, and people, we won't have to deal with issues coming in from the outside. It's like that's just not true. Um, it'll happen whether you invite it or, or not. So back to the lightning analogy, the logical thing to do is to put up a lightning rod in anticipation of that, that particular risk or that particular event. You know, get the information, like route it around where it's going to cause damage and get it to a place where you can deal with it. Um, and I think that concept's being better understood, like, you know, just as a starting point to your question, Chloe, this whole idea of it's different to crowdsourcing because crowdsourcing, like you start the conversation as an organization. You're actually reaching out and inviting people to do stuff. Vone disclosure, it just happens out there on the internet. So just people kind of getting their heads straight on the nature of it in that way, I think is a really important starting point. I spend a lot of time talking about that stuff right now because the market's quite confused on that particular point. Um, But yeah, to your point around different modes, you know, there's there's coordinated vulnerability disclosure, which is really around this idea of there being a proactively kind of set out policy that you can go and read. Like this is the definition of good faith. Like if you do these things, we're going to assume you're not a bad guy trying to hack our stuff, um, which is important. and you know if you stay within those those boundaries, you want to keep them as loose as you can, but be clear as well. Um, if you stay within them, then we're going to not prosecute we're going to you know consider it all to be in good faith, exemption from you know violation of terms of service, so you don't invoke the stuff that Aaron's law was intended to resolve and DMCA and stuff like that um, that's the first piece, and then usually what will happen is the researcher or the hacker or the you know, going back to what we're saying before, depending on <laughs> if they're wearing a suit or not. Right. <laughs> Depends what you call it. Um, they'll coordinate around the timeline of, of how that all plays out. So there's, there's, you know, the intention of it is there is an active conversation around, like, what's the timeline on this thing getting fixed? And usually with CBD, the idea is that at some point in time in the future that you kind of proactively set out, that vulnerability will be published. So what that does is it creates accountability on the recipient to actually fix stuff, right? Which is, I think, a good thing. Um, but it also helps people, you know, understand like what risks they may have been exposed to while that vulnerability was in the wild. You know, obviously you got like CVE and MITRE and stuff like that telling people they need to patch all those different downstream things. As an educational component, it's it's quite valuable as well. So that's CVD. There's a, a version called Full Disclosure, um, which is obviously the source of a lot of debate um, you know, I, I talk about that sometimes, it's like not liking full disclosures, kind of like not liking death and taxes, <laughs> like <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, my, my view on that is full disclosure is ultimately a byproduct of the failure to have intake processes and, and handling processes set up ahead of time. So if you're a researcher, you've got a thing, no one's listening or they're, they're clouding up, you know, they're, they're threatening legal action, whatever it might be. And you're thinking it's in the in the best interest of the safety of the internet to just publish this stuff so people can protect themselves but also so there's pressure on it getting fixed that's that's effectively full disclosure um, and it's messy you know that that sort of thing tends to create a lot of unintended consequences it's it's definitely not ideal um, but as i said it's it's an option of last resort that just exists because we're not very good at this yet Collectively, yeah. we're getting better at it but we're getting it's, better, still not
2: there. it's better than <laughs> I remember back in like two thousand and Oh, yeah. 2018. Huge progress. When we started like talking about it, people were like, wait for a second, what's this disclose.io? <laughs> yeah. But if anyone wants to learn more about it, feel free to check out disclose.io, learn about it. And also, if you have questions at all, feel free to reach out to Casey. His yeah, DMs absolutely. are open. Yeah. And this getting, is something he's passionate about.
1: Getting involved, there's a community as well in terms of um, actually helping people with disclosure. There's a lot that goes on with that because, you know, I'm, I'm one of, a couple of dozen people just always gets the phone call eventually. It's like, I'm trying to get this information to this person. Oh, call Casey. Um, and that doesn't scale. I'm, I'm happy to help out with that stuff, obviously. <laughs> but like, this is a thing that needed to scale. So we created a community to do that. Um, so folks that want to help out on that side, go in there, sign up, you know, introduce yourself, and, and see what's going on. And if you're trying to disclose an issue and you're having trouble with it, you want advice or, or a connection, it's a good place to actually get that help. Um, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, Disclosed.io, you, you'll see it there. And uh, yeah, it's, it's motoring forward, which is yeah. cool.
2: It's lovely to see. Well, thank you, Casey, so much for joining us. It was lovely to have you on here.
1: Thanks for having me. Thanks,
0: all. Cybrary, the premier cybersecurity skill development platform, is empowering individuals and teams to secure the future of technology. See why 3 million people have already signed up when you visit www.cybrary.it.